This is Gareth Jones on Speed, episode 362, which is part two of our coverage of the 2019 London Classic Car Show. This is an enhanced podcast with images embedded in the timeline. If you want to see these images, we recommend playing this episode in VLC Player, which is available for Android, iPhone and PC or Mac. And as if by magic, Zog arrived. Hey Z. Hey Gareth. How was the drive over? Actually, public transport. Really? Uh, I'm surprised. Well, you know, it is a Sunday. There's a small matter of an MOT to be acquired. Of course. Uh, yes, and it's not. it turns out I needed to do a couple of other things to get the car through the MOT. Nothing major. I'll take care of that this week. But I haven't seen a 944 here, but there is a lovely 968. Oh, really? We may oh, well, have to consider. We'll, we'll pay that a visit shortly. But I know you're quite fond of Citroen as well as Porsche. Absolutely. Well, I think if you're a car knight, you have to love Citroen. You Correct. Know, if you'd only got into cars in the last few years, you might not be quite so aware of Citroen's history, because they're a rather diminished company now. But throughout the 20th century, they were making these wonderful, interesting... Innovative. Innovative. Yep. Yeah. Innovative yep. cars. They were new engineering ideas and bold design. And that's why we love them. And they're celebrating 100 years here. There's a stand here. We're standing next to, what's this, from 1937, would you say? Maybe even before that. What is it? What uh, is this? This looks... Hang on. Uh, Let's find out. We can read it. It's no shame in not knowing, Zog. It's okay to read the notes. What is exactly. it? A B12 from, from what year? 26. 26. 26. And I guess this was full of innovations in its day as well. A straight six. Well, this would have been seven years into Citroen's existence. They were yep. formed in 1919, just post-war. So this is early Citroen. Quite work. early, but a bit of a step on from the little Model A that they debuted with. Right. Um, that was their first. Have they got one here? A Model uh, A. Where is it? No, they haven't got one. No, no, no Type A. What you saw going up and down was a five horsepower. I didn't see that. The yellow one. Then my other one, which is 1927. These are yours. Yeah, this. This, this is yours. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. So what's your name, sir? Martin. Martin. Gareth Jones, nice to meet you. What's your last name, Martin? Dilittle. You're on Gareth Jones on Speed Car Podcast. Oh, wow. Like you, we're celebrating 100 years of Citroen yeah, yeah. this year. Zog here, my co-presenter on the show, Martin, is a Citroenophile, I think that's okay. the correct term, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think yeah. we all are. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what's remarkable about the B12 then, Martin. Well, what you need to know, first of all, is that, yes, there was first a Type A, and then the Type A segued into the B2 in about 1923-4. At the same time, Citroën began the five horsepower, the little yellow peril that went up and down earlier, and that was a ladies' car. So oh, really? Very, very low instrumentation. The big selling point was that it was small, delicate. It had an electric motor start rather than a handle. Innovative. Innovative stuff. So, in the case of the Type C, also known as the five horsepower, and the B2. They were all wooden body made out of ash, perched on a steel chassis. So far, so good. Now, it's a long story, but in short, Citroën, Le Patron, spent a lot of time going over to America with, among others, Henry Ford, Thingamy Taylor, word will come to me in a minute, of time and motion fame, and a fellow called Edwin Budd. 
and he was researching in terms of producing cars cheaply so that he could shift the product out to Joe Public at a good price, giving the public what they want with good margins. So by 1920... Très égalitarian. Well, it's business, you know. It was about shifting product. Citroën was not an engineer. He was a businessman. Right. And so his interest was not being innovative for the sake of it, which is what most people assume. His interest was in making cars that people would buy, therefore, and by definition, they had to be at a price point where people would accept the price. It had to look good and it had to have things about it that made people want to buy. It was ever thus. So the B2 was a wooden body, then the B10 came along and all the panels, which is, you need to look at mine down at the end there, the mustard one sitting on the black chassis, they were steel. So once you bought, installed press tools that will shape and fashion steel, you then need to make enough steel panels in order to amortize, to pay for the yep. cost of that investment. Yes. So it was yep. a gamble, it was yep. a punt, call it what you like. So he then had this line of presses in the Quai de Javel factory in Paris on the Seine. The presses had come from America and he started about 1924-25 pressing out panels. So these panels were then jigged up, they were welded by the then fairly new process of arc welding. The seams were lead loaded, they were flattened off, cleaned off and painted. And by that process, he was able to produce a car body in record time compared with the small army of craftsmen, bending wood, shaping wood, sanding wood, filing wood. So they all basically went. So from then on, it was a process of developing that technology The B10 was the first steel, that segued into the B12. This is a B12, but because it's not a run-of-the-mill one, this is still a hand-built ash body sitting on the chassis. This is a taxi? This is a taxi, and more of which in a minute. So then the B10 was all steel, the B12 was all steel. That led to the B14, which is the one I was driving earlier. There is no B13, Citroën was suspicious <laughs> about these things. And then seven years after that one, the one I was driving, the Traction Avant came along. So the technology of pressing steel and making a body, in this case, unitary construction, was Citroën all the way. The idea was offered to English manufacturers and they said, bah, piffle, it'll never catch up. My good friend Zog here, whenever we talk about cars on the programme, we occasionally do a feature where we choose our favourite cars of all time. Given any one car, what would you have? Zog invariably says a Light 15, a Traction Avant. Well, I have a Traction Avant, but it's a Normal, which is the bigger one. It's and a lovely I've... car. Pardon? Lovely car. Lovely car. Lovely car. And it goes to France every year. This one goes to France every year. The one you saw going up and down goes to France. We're all mates. We all hang out together. Favourite car is my DI Delage. Oh, lovely. But I want to talk about the Traction Avant because right. it is a significant car for many, many reasons. Again, yeah. innovative in so many ways. Tell yeah. me a little bit about... All right. Well, so we jumped seven years from the B14 down at the end to this, by which time the art of pressing steel and pulling steel together in such a way that you can make a strong unitary construction has been achieved so here mm-hmm. I don't know if I can open the door it's a mate of mine I know he's locked it locked okay uh, maybe I can from inside there look we at that so yep. we're looking at our very very deep sills here yeah so the deep stills 
mean that the car A doesn't bend in the middle, B you don't get scuttle shape. Yep. And what you have to bear in mind is that we're now talking 1935, 67, before what engineers would now call finite element analysis. This was on a by God, by Garmin, does it look right? Basis, okay? <laughs> so if it bends, you stick some more metal in it. Yes. So this is the world's first unitary construction motor car. So all this other rubbish in here all owes itself to this. This one car. Then at the same time, because Citroën wanted a car at the time that was rakish, stylish, the punters would buy it at a price point that they could afford. He knew he had to do certain things. And one he was particularly interested in was that, unlike the taxi, people would not have to clamber in. So here, the driver, male or female, simply opens the suicide door deliberately so yeah backs in knees together swing round you're in elegant but, but elegant but you, to do that the car had to be low to make it low you had to get rid of the prop shaft if you got rid of the prop shaft you then had to have front wheel drive ah so what yeah. drove them to that well it's a function and form thing ah, now, now front wheel drive was not new it was used by Alvis and been used by Cord and been used by Railton and famously Alvis in the Le Mans. But nobody took it to the level here that we've got a mass-produced motor car in large numbers, made in fact from 34 to 57. Production stopped two years after the Day S came in because Joe Public wasn't quite sure about the Day S and all this going up and down business. Martin, the Day S is another example of Citroën innovation yeah. with suspension. They offered so much innovation in transmission as well, mm -hmm. you know. The Citroën logo, as we know, is built on one of those innovations. The logo is built on helical gears. Yes, Opposed yes. helical gears. Yep. Come, sir. Yep. And as a man who studied in huge detail yeah. the history of Citroën, how do you feel about the company 100 years on and the cars that they manufacture today. It's been a turbulent story. Does it have a, I wouldn't say a happy ending, but where are we now? Well, well, I'm, I'm not really an expert, but along the way, of course, back in the early 20s, you had a vast number of small motor car companies. Donne, Amilcar, Hotchkiss, Delage, Delahaye. Well, between them, they all got sucked up by Citroën and Peugeot. So, in fact, in the case of Delage, 1935 it became Delahaye, by 1955 it became Citroën. So they don't just produce cars, of course, they produce a lot of the engineering that produces cars. This is a hidden aspect to their bank sheet and bank balance and their business. They are in the business of making machines that make parts for cars. So, as we speak, they have now just absorbed Vauxhall, famous name, Vauxhall Strokopo. So they are survivors. They're still here. And ask yourself where Rover are and British Leyland and all the others. They are still here. So they will continue. As I understand it, one of their principal drives is out into China, notwithstanding various difficulties. Mm -hmm. Actually, when I was in China, I noticed about... 10 or 15 years ago yeah. so many Chinese cars were built on the AX that the yeah. AX well, was yeah. sported yeah, out yeah. there wasn't they, it what they're trading on here is a loyal market base of 3 to 4% of total car sales it's not likely to jump enormously it's not likely to fail people buy these cars because they want them or rather I should say the aircross down the radar yeah. competition is stiff they're up against some serious competition I mean Renault and their EV vehicles particularly but as we know, the good guys win in the end, yeah, don't they? Yeah, maybe. 
but um, <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah, that, I, more than that, I don't know because I'm not in the trade. I'm a retired school teacher. I've got nothing to do with the motor trade at all. What was your first Citroen that you owned? Oh, the first one was the Traction, many years. But I was an MG man for years. And really? Then, and then I saw the light. You, know, moved <laughs> you went for the quality. No, I love the engineering, and to be honest, what I really, really love, and it's very difficult to convey through a podcast or radio, but if you were in this car or a car that was in a fraction of its condition, and you set the sat-nav in a random fashion for a village in France, let's supposing you come off the ferry or out of the tunnel, you and your other half, whatever, you're driving towards this village, and it's... It's 12 o'clock, darling, it's time for lunch. And you pull into the village square, because the sat-nav in France will always take you to the village square. And you stop. And within minutes, there's a crowd. They come and they say, ah, my grand... Well, no, first question, is it four-cylinder or six-cylinder? Uh-huh. Usually there's some disappointment when you say four. But anyway, then they say, oh, my father had one and my grandfather one. And it's just a fabulous car, La Belle Voiture, La Reine de la Rue. La Reine de la Rue, the queen of the Wait. road. And so, and then you have to sort of try and escape and get off, <laughs> get off to your stake free. Which well, you can always drive an aircross, they'd ignore yeah. that, wouldn't they? I pulled up with Jags and all sorts of flash stuff, and only the traction that the French are interested in. Oh, very nice, yeah, Trebel, yeah, Trebel, Trebel. It's the traction. It is an iconic car for the French, and you have to look back and see how initially it wasn't a good move but the Gestapo appropriated it it was a car of choice for the Von Trapp family when they escaped the Germans it was used subsequently by de Gaulle the security people Securité it was a car of choice for the bank robbers as well as being adopted by Rupert Davis as the first car for Maigret so four editions of Maygray now is Rupert Davis. Most recently, it's Rowan Atkinson, and there are two in between. And always, yes, you have to have the traction. It's like the French version of the Jaguar. I was about to say it's that. The yeah. car with, and the robbers. With, car. With, yeah. with, with, yes, indeed. And initially, apparently, the story goes, you know, the cops said, "Bloody hell, they got a car better than us." You know, we want some of this as well. Martin, I feel that we've only just started <laughs> to scratch the surface of the right. glorious history of Citroën. Unfortunately, the duration of this programme does not allow no, us to talk well, any another, further another day another time uh, what a Good pleasure week. meeting you sir thank you okay. so much pick the bones out of that well there's plenty we'll use it all thank you we're going to talk about some <laughs> of the more modern talked about the taxi yeah. nah there'll be another chance another nice time. to meet you sir Cheers, thank you guys. so long wow this is an absolutely gorgeous condition isn't it just oh, but look look look, look. there's an SM here as well I love, of course there's an SM not the most reliable of Citroens ever but a glorious no, car no but well yeah exactly a glorious slightly silly yeah you know silly but not in a really clown shoes comedy noises and tripping over kind of way but silly in a sort of what really but yeah it's this enormous sci-fi well I was going to say Sci-fi. It's yeah. no better word to describe it. You know, uh, it's like... Um, there has to be a third word there. But, uh, but we haven't just figured out what it is. Futuristic. But futurism. You I know? mean, you know, you could have put it in Logan's Run yeah. without actually making any changes to well, it. Well, you, know, you, you often find in sci-fi films of kind of alternative futures, you will often find an SM or even a Deus mm. used as that sort of car. You know, a picture of the future as it's appeared in the At past. At a certain time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the Mahari behind us? 
I have not. I love a Mahari. I love the Mahari. This one's in that famous lime green. I think it might even be electric. They're converting a lot of them to electric drive. Citroen, for all the fact that they do some things that seem to be slightly wacky from time to time, or did stuff that seemed to be wacky from time to time, they're also a company that very, very focused on making practical vehicles. Mm. You know, the mm. De Chavaux was, above all, a practical vehicle. You know, the Traction Vent. At the same time that we talk about the innovation and how groundbreaking it was, you know, it was also supposed to be and it was a very successful mainstream family car and it was so good that it stayed in production for decades yeah yeah there's um, the measure of a car yeah, yeah. And, that, and that doesn't happen by doing unnecessary stuff frivolous stuff you achieve that by making years. a really good vehicle the De Chavaux, wouldn't it have first appeared the De Chavaux in production I think it started production just after the war 48 and it was certainly I, around I think, in the I, I think there may have been some prototypes possibly pre-war I'm not sure about that in my mind, I have 1948, De Chavaux, and then what, it ceased production in about 2000? No, really? No, no, it was earlier than that, wasn't it? But you yeah, could yeah, still was... buy a Dolly, De Chavaux Dolly edition, in about 84. So, I think you could buy them a bit later than that. That's a great question. You look it up. You're okay, in front of a computer, you guys. You I, find I out the answer. I that I said 2000 because that's obviously completely wrong. I think it was earlier. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, this happens to us a lot these days. It though, does. So I'm going to, you know, <laughs> move swiftly on and forget about that. All right, we'll walk away from the Mahari, put the Mahari down, step away the CX estate. Now, this is a pretty elegant again, beast, isn't it? Yeah, again, it evokes the SM, doesn't it? You know, it's a gloriously futuristic car, gloriously unreliable. A chap I knew had one once, and he claimed it was his two-day-a-week car. I said, what, you only drive it <laughs> yeah. at the weekends? No, it's the only time it works. Yeah, two not days so much a daily seven. driver. Yeah, two days out of seven, it didn't work. But beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah in a kind of um, Ed Straker from UFO kind of... Uh, I was like, trying to get that out while we were talking about the SM, that right, it's then, very Ed Straker. Yes, there is this slightly similar feel with these two cars. Yeah. You know, there's quite a lot of bulk, quite a lot of weight. You know, not ungainly weight, but there's quite a lot of stuff. And it's quite low down. And then there are these very 70s little kinks and yes. things going on with the lines. And look yeah. at this for an innovation. If you look inside a CX, and this particular one, which is, I think, the Famari, the seven-seater, in between the driver and the passenger seat in the centre console, the radio is mounted alongside the handbrake. I don't think I've seen that before. Oh, that's, that's, that's a great use of the space. That's a great use of space, isn't it? Yeah. It looks like they've got two units in there. You've got your main stereo, and then you've got a graphic equalizer. Of course, it's the 80s, of course, a separate whole thing. That's what everyone needs. Yes. Okay, how 80s is this? There's a car that regularly parked around the corner from me now that has what looks to me like an original kind of circa 1989 car phone in it no seriously really yeah. lovely Motorola it's, probably absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know, classic you know centre console wired handpiece, of course that you pick up nice yeah. Great bit of history. We'll come to the end of Citroen's story so far, because I've got a Citroen C5 Aircross, which we'll talk about. We are are now in the present day. But just before we get there, there's a car which in many ways, I think, is credited as saving Citroen. The Citroen BX was a huge hit, wasn't it? Sold on safety, the fact that you could have a blowout. There was an advert. Do you remember a very famous advert where they drove a BX blew out one of the tyres and drove it in between two trucks yeah. and it still continued to drive straight and true. And that was because of the 
self-leveling hydrodramatic suspension, a Citroen innovation, which also meant you could drop the car up and down. I've had a couple of friends who had BXs and they loved them. You know, I remember years ago, the ride and the fact that you could drop the car up and down to load things and unload things was quite a big deal for them. It's all about they, the they loved that, yeah. And, you know, they were good-looking cars and pretty good to drive. Yeah, that concept was originally done by Batoni for Volvo. I think we've discussed this on the programme before. And when you say this concept, you mean... If you look, there's a Batoni concept which Volvo turned down, but Citroen accepted and turned into the BX. Mm. Was it called the Tundra, possibly? The Batoni Tundra. I could be wrong there. But, hey, right up to date, here's the C5 Aircross. Now... So it's not a Citroen, is it really? Because it's taller than you or I. Um, Citroens are generally low cars, in my opinion. Well, although then again, think about the Citroen van. Behind this, we're seeing an H van, I think it is, over there. Now, granted, that's a van, not a car. So I'm kind of... It's tall. I'm getting height on a technicality here. Yeah, OK, uh, I'll give you but, that. But yeah, you're right. You look at that and it doesn't have to me any distinctive styling any particular key visual cues that say this is a Citroen Mm -hmm. it's too generic a kind of you know, mid-sized crossover SUV yeah, thing. That's what it is, isn't you know, it? You um, take that Citroen badge off and you could replace it with just about anything from Kia to Sanyong, Ford. It could be anything, really. Yeah, absolutely. But you like this. You know, I've moved my Sora on and yes. I'm thinking about replacing it. Moving on to the next stage. Yeah. This week's choice of car to replace the Sora with... Last week it was the Honda CRZ. This week's choice in my head is the Citroen C4 Cactus from a few years ago, the one which had the air bubbles down the side. That's not a bad, sensible, practical choice if you've got your lifestyle and living where you do in London. Yeah, I could see that working. I drove one on Gareth Jones on speed and I was quite taken by its minimalist interior and its handling, its urgency and its ride, its Citroen-esque swoopy qualities and, and they're probably pretty good value right now bang on what, you can get a corker for on? less than eight grand absolute corker with less than thirty thousand miles on the clock yeah so bargain nice. something to think about okay let's move on zog and i's head have been turned by the presence of more zagato work here both Alfa Romeos, Alphaholics is the display. Clearly a motorsport enthusiast club who like to run Alphas. And there are two Alfa Zagatos. I'm not sure what they're actually called. Do you know what this one is called? Um, the longer one, the beautiful red one, is a 64 Julia TZ, I believe. Is it really? And the beautiful blue one... So it is, you're right. And the blue one is a Giulietta SZ. SZ, of course, yeah. I've never seen this before. The way that the Zagato take a beautiful design, they connect a high-pressure air pump to it, and they put just a little bit more air in, so it just fills it out a little bit. That's always think Zagatos look like they've been slightly overinflated in a beautiful way. Oh, well, he's going to say, um, in a beautiful way, because when you describe that, I'm thinking, well, whatever inflation's going on in the shape, it's not 
anything that makes the car look like it put on any weight. No, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the thing with Zagato lines, and there's a kind of continuous line that goes from the Aston Martin DB4 Zagato, which is particularly beautiful, through the Ferraris to these Alphas, where there's a smoothness to mm. the lines. Compound curves. Um, and a purpose to them. You could describe a great many cars like that. It is very hard to describe what it is that makes it look like a Zagato and why they are so beautiful. I guess the particular curves they're using and just how they combine them, they simplify the lines of the car to some extent. I always yeah, think that the, you know, yeah, the, you yeah, know, the yeah, DB4 yeah, Zagato, for example, it's a much purer, simpler... Interpretation. ...shape, yeah, than the original that it's yeah. based on. Yeah. But it also looks more powerful. It looks faster. It looks sleeker. It looks better in every way. <laughs> and a Zagato is always eminently more kissable than the car that it was based on. Yes. Like when I see it, I just want to kiss it. I do. I want to kiss this car. I probably won't get away with it, so I won't. <laughs> Gareth Jones and There's a whole range of classic cars here at the London Classic Car Show. Some of them are affordable classics, you know. There'll be Ford Escorts and Ford Anglias and things like that. And old Rovers here that you can pick up for a few grand. And then there's ultra exotica, super prestige cars like this 1932 Bentley Blower. This car is remarkable for two reasons number one it's red and it's very unusual to see an old Bentley in anything other than green or occasionally black you know or yeah, sometimes or that's blue. A, or that blue yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Navy, uh, yeah. Blue, yeah but to yeah. see one in red it makes it look even more dramatic if it could be any more dramatic than it actually is but this is, I would imagine, for sale here. There's well, a price on it. I think, yeah, all of the cars on this stand are on sale. It's a big classic car dealer, yeah. vintage and prestige classic cars. Yeah. Would you care to guess what the asking price for the Bentley is? An original... If you happen to have the cash on you today. So, 19... you know, I mean, I dare say they'd, right. they'd uh, knock a little bit off if you had cash, maybe. But, right, OK, uh, I've almost certainly got the cash on me for this. OK. In my wallet, not even in my bag, in my wallet for okay. this. What do you pay for a blower? I reckon this is 1.2 million. Well, sir, I would be delighted to sell you this car for 1.2 million, and then I can pocket the 300,000 that I would have made. Uh, 885,000 pounds. Um, yeah. Worth every penny? Obviously, it's a lot of money. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's a lot of money to spend on a car. It's crazy. But actually, We'll that, let it go. that doesn't seem that expensive for a blower Bentley that looks like this. And how much would you I, like I, to know, drive I, that I'm to sure the mall? As long as it has a bit of history, which I'm sure it has. It's a Bentley. Um, hey, well, maybe we'll see it on the road when we're on our way down the next time. Who knows? We do see Bentleys. It's one of the yeah, most joyful thing, yeah, isn't it? A little, Going little, little at, 90, yeah, at 90 mile per hour, blasting down the auto route. And that's what they're designed for. Marvellous. There are lots of young people here, but lots of older people as well. I think older blokes like classic cars because it just evokes their youth and their childhood, even their middle age for some of us. And I'm very pleased to be able to count the fact that cars from the 80s can be classics now. I mean, cars from the 90s can be classics, can't they, Zog? I think they can. Yeah. But we're surrounded, well, we're in front of some 
80s classics at the moment. The first of which is uh, Porsche 968. That's a classic, isn't it? Absolutely. Very recent classic, but yeah, it's a classic. There's a Sierra Sapphire Cosworth over there. That's definitely a classic. Absolutely. Perhaps because it's more, rare. More re- well, okay, what makes a classic? Mm. What makes a car a classic? I mean, this is tricky. It's like a planet. You sort of know what it is, but it's actually hard to come up with a definition for it. It's not enough that it's just an old car. It has to be old, beyond a certain point. I guess, are we going to say 25 years? Definitely 25 a classic. Years. 25 years is a good starting yeah. point, so let's stick with that. It has to have either made a significant mark on the public consciousness... Yeah. You know, have been significant culturally, or it has to have been significant to car geeks. So classics will encompass both things like the traction of that we were looking at earlier actually covers both of those things. Yeah. Because it was both innovative, interesting, of interest to car geeks because of technical stuff. But it was also a very popular car. A lot of people, it was their family car. It was the first car they owned. And anything like that, that's a classic. Here's the interesting thing about classic cars. You can have a classic that is a very rare car or a prestige car because it was well looked after, because it was an important car like a Bentley or an Aston Martin, something like that. But you can also find a classic in a very, very humble car because they were so proliferous, is that the right word? There were so many of them. Popular. Popular, numerous. Numerous. So numerous, yes, that they were taken for granted and then they all rotted away and nobody bothered to look after them. So if you've got one of those, it's rare. So the fact that it's rare from a huge volume almost makes it more important than rare because there weren't that many in the first place. Yeah, although I'm sure we could think of a handful of examples of cars that were produced in great numbers almost all of them have rotted away to nothing by now Cortinas. And, no, and nobody cares yeah Cortinas uh, yeah actually they're not all Cortinas you know some yeah. Cortinas are loved and yeah. you know certainly yeah. Lotus Cortina definitely a classic yeah. yeah that's an easy one to pick but, um, but how many Cortina Crusaders could you buy now you know the last of the Cortinas probably fewer in number than the Lotus Cortina and therefore yeah, and a classic but are they special enough mm. this is a question special because there aren't many left they're like rhinos they're special I think but you need something more than just rarity okay. I mean rarity means that something could be of interest to a museum maybe or somebody who's a nut for that make of car but if you think of you know mediocre boring hatchbacks that people have made in the last 40 years they're not all going to be classics mm-hmm. in another 20 years. A lot of them are just too forgettable. They're too much like everything else. There's just nothing special about them. Special. Special. Kind of special. There's a special car here. Come round here, Zog. I know you'll enjoy this. Zog, as you know, loves a Porsche. This isn't your 944, but it's the nearest thing here. It's to a 968 Club Sport, yeah. Yes. Like the lightweight version of the uh, So is your car a classic? Absolutely. Okay. No doubt in your eyes when you said that. The steeliness in your eyes. Oh, well, no. It's old enough and it's significant enough in terms of history within Porsche and just the sheer quality of it, to be honest. So, yeah, it's a classic. Done. Agreed.
Zog and I have come down one end of the big hall here at XL because there's a row of I suppose affordable classics, Zog, we could call these. And these are all on sale in the Coys auction here. Yeah, that's right. So these aren't the high-end supercars. There are no old Bugattis or Ferraris with racing history. It's, uh... But they're more than very ordinaire. I mean, they're great marks. There's a row of, I can see three Porsches, a Grinnell Triumph TR8, it's converted yeah, seven. Yeah, a Bentley Continental. Yeah. A Jag Mark 10. That is a Mark 10, isn't it? It yeah, is Mark a Mark 10, 10 yeah. 420 um, G Mark 10, yeah. Yeah, the Grinnell. Yeah. Fiat Coupe. This 911 Carrera here got yeah. my attention. Yeah. yeah. It's 74. 74. I may have seen this car before. The registration is CDM 381M. And you may remember there was a period where you could tell where a car was from because of its registration. DM is Denbyshire, Flintshire, North Wales. Well, you say there was a period. I mean, the British registrations are still region. So I may well have seen this car. I would have noticed it when I was growing up. I'd have been 13 when this car was manufactured. I yeah, was already well into cars. A red 9 11 target screen you, you'd have noticed that let's have a quick rundown because there's a few notable cars here it's I suppose not expensive you know you could get it for estimates between 10 and 20,000 it's not a it's lot not really and the, here's a, this is something you definitely have this is a 1972 rough, rough Porsche yes. 911 2.4 flat nose is that a 930 do we call that nose is that uh, right yes yeah yes. So how about that I knew something about Porsche it's very rare for me which with one would you have? A slightly, slightly special number. number plate, which ends 911. That's worth a little something. Yep. It's about forty-five to 50000 So which one would you have, the 911 Targa or the Ruff? I'd have the Ruff, but if I was spending my own money on it and I was going to have thirty grand left over and I could have either of them, I might well go for the Targa, have a bit of wind in my hair pleasure, plus yep. thirty grand in my pocket. And red leather interior. What's not to like? Yep. I do like that a great deal. But look at the colour on this. The Grinnell TR8, which is a Triumph TR7 made over by a British car builder to give it a bit more va 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 and they're great little niche British sports cars lovely colour on this electric blue that is uh, electric blue there's no other word for that yeah, Zog, is yeah, there? yeah. there's a 70s chic about that there's a rareness to it because it's a Grinnell that makes it a classic we were arguing you know discussing what was a true classic earlier on and here's one that's borderline that Grinnell is definitely a classic because of its obscurity we're standing in front of a 1998 Fiat Coupe now it's not a turbo it's just the basic what did it have a 1.8 litre 4 I think in it there was a yeah, 1.8 litre and a 2 litre uh, 2 litre maybe in a 5 cylinder did I make that up yeah. that was a turbo yeah, yeah. 5 yeah. cylinder yeah. quite right 20, hey, 5 cylinder 20 valve but this car was important in its way because the dash inside was exposed metal body coloured metal and this as I remember was the very first car to do that after something like 30 years we hadn't seen it since the 50s or 60s and it was Chris Bangle that brought this back. So, is this car a classic? Yeah, definitely a classic. Or will be, once it reaches the requisite 25 years of age. 98, 
Okay, 21 years, so not quite there yet. We're going to say 25 years to become a classic. You mentioned that point about the interior colour, which is important. But of course, the thing that stylistically we mostly remember about the Fiat Coupe is those very aggressive slashes over yes. the wheel arches. Yes, that's true, uh, yes. Very, very distinctive. It didn't really take off. That's not didn't a, see a it bit elsewhere, of did we? that really went very far, but a very bold visual statement. And they're pretty little cars. And this one is a bargain at between 1500 and 3000 pounds. Yeah, I think that looks the bargain, like I say. Yeah. The bargain. Nice, simple, almost mustard colour 912 from 67. 912. Ah, oh, that's just a good, classy little sports car, isn't it? 30 grand. It's obviously been nicely lived in. The crest on the bonnet's just a little skew whiff, just a few little stone dings here or there. I'm sure if we look at the odometer, it's not going to be a 15,000 miles on the clock car. No, it isn't. This it's one's been, been driven. It's been enjoyed and, and it will be enjoyed for many more years to come. I could sure. see you driving to Le Moyne that. I can see that. In fact, wasn't that the car at the start of the film? Le Mans, wasn't it a 912? The Steve McQueen drives and parks yeah. up. But is it a 911 or is it a 912? I don't know. Oh, I'm not certain. I'm going to have to watch it again and find out. Yeah, yeah. We've seen this lovely Jag 420G again. Tatty, yours for 10 grand out rarity because these things fell apart, didn't they? Yeah, and is this one about to fall apart? Yes, it's pretty close. I mean, yeah, taking a punt on this big and old Jag. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd want to have somebody that knows Jaguars take a look at it before I spend any money on it, but it's an imposing beast. The thing is, if I wanted something that big, that heavy, I'd have that Bentley yeah. Continental over yeah. there. We'll get to that in a moment. Just before we do, there's a Peugeot 205 1.9 GTI here from 1986. Phase one. Interesting. I remember driving one of these and thinking it just wanted to play. Mm. It really wanted to play. So of its period, this is a classic. It's not a fabulous car, but it was a great car. Good enough to be a classic? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you think about cars of that era, and particularly hatchbacks of the era. Hot hatches. Hot hatches. 205 GTI, a classic. Golf GTI, a classic. Citroen AX, uh, not a classic. Not a classic. This is what I mean, the car has to have something about it. It had to be respected. Those cars were all made in tremendous numbers, mm. but there was nothing about the Citroen AX compared to the Golf GTI, the 205 GTI, that made people love them and made us remember them, and that's what makes a classic. There is a car down the end here that Zog and I spotted we were chatting with an on-speed listener called adrian and we spotted this car in the distance and the two of us made a beeline to come and look at this car a future classic it's already a classic it's a 1992 bentley turbo r yours for 13 grand why is it both you and i of all these cars here including the porsches for you yeah then we went straight for this, the Bentley. This is the one that we fancy, I mean, it's isn't it? It's just a hell of a car, isn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah, a hell of a car. It's such an imposing presence. You're getting a lot of everything for your 13 grand here. Yeah. I yeah, mean, you're just yeah. getting a lot of sheer weight of metal. But it is also a lot, you of, know, leather. A lot of leather, a <laughs> lot of wood. But it's also tremendously satisfying shape. And it just reeks quality class 
rock and roll. A bit of self-indulgence, I guess. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I fancy driving this to the mall this Me year. Me too. Actually, I'd fantasise about driving that home to North Wales. How I'd love that. How many people could you fit in that car? Anything up to 13. If they were young ladies, squeezed okay, so, up. So this is basically a grand each. <laughs> um, you know, we've got like to do a carpool thing. I here. like the way you grand. think. 13 people. Right. Okay, I can see this happening. We need to find some live ballet dancers with a grand spare to go in with us on this. We'll have this between us. It's a plan. That'll do it. So there you go. Of all the cars here at the London Classic Car Show, Zog and I have decided to buy a 1992 Bentley Turbo R for 13 grand. If you want to come in with us, on that you'd be very welcome he's been Zog goodbye I've been Gareth and before we go we're going to leave you with a song and as this is the episode of On Speed closest to St David's Day you know we have a tradition on this programme of me writing and recording a song in the Welsh language or about Wales well here's a song called Ras Ang Hymri which means a race in Wales which tells the story of the plan and the collapse of the circuit of Wales which was proposed in South Wales and how it didn't happen and it's recorded in the style of Welsh folk supergroup Pendevig or in my case Pendavad which means sheep's head see ya and happy St David's Day
i anfon e bost atom, gweld lluniau, cael geiriau ein canlion, ymuno am fan Facebook, dilinwch ni ar Twitter neu gael gwybodaeth am gyfleoedd nawdd, ewch i garethjones.tv. Gwneir Gareth Jones on speed yn Llundain, gan Wizbang.